Welcome to The Conversation. I'm Heil Russell. And I'm Jeff Onan. Uh, Jeff, are you ready for another four-hour episode of The Conversation? Uh, hold on one second. Ah, okay, now I'm ready. I don't, I don't know what you just did. I was expecting, like, you're, you're gonna, I was gonna hear a gunshot or something. No, I cracked open a can, and oh. I, could t- I, I put it right next to the microphone, but, you know... Maybe it didn't get picked up. Just imagine in your in your mind's eye the sound of a can opening, and it's yeah. a Dr. Pepper. Oh, delicious. It'll nut your flesh right off. Woohoo! On this episode of The Conversation, Jeff, we are going to be discussing Sea of Thieves Season 2. This is a bit belated, uh, obviously, because, you know, we're doing these updates on Sea of Thieves at the conclusion of every season, but Season two's kind of been over for something like three well, weeks now. They really timed it there to end it right in the E3 rush. So, right. you know, we had some stuff to do, and I had stuff to do, you had stuff to do. But now we don't, so we're, we have stuff to do now, and it's this. This is the thing we're going to do. This, this is the thing, yeah. No, they ended it right as E3 was ending, and then a new Mario golf game came out. So of course the conversation had to talk about that. And then it was Donkey Kong's 40th anniversary. So we had to do a four hour podcast about that. So now we're getting to see if Thieves season two. And I just want to say, we will not be talking spoilers for Sea of Thieves Season 3, which is, in fact, the big Pirates of the Caribbean crossover that we discussed when they announced it back in those E3 episodes. That is not this. So if you have not played that, if you don't want to be spoiled, don't worry. We won't be giving out spoilers. I haven't even finished it yet. I've been playing it live on stream. So I don't want to be spoiled. But we will be spoiling Season 2, which is in the past. So there's really nothing more to be spoiled. So, yeah. Um, Let's just dive into it. Uh, Don't need due diligence. Let's let's just get dirty. So Sea of Thieves Season 2 was the second season uh, in their new season progression update pattern where every three months they they have a new season you can level up to level 100 and get all you know rewards along the way and they also usually have some sort of big hook as far as like what's happening that season and a big world events or maybe a couple events happening that are separate from that but give you another objective along the way. Some, something to keep in mind, something that can influence the way you play the game. And, you know, it was funny because I was on uh, the Keel Hauled podcast as a guest uh, in the middle of Season 2 before they announced what was coming with A Pirate's Life. And, uh, th- you know, I'm not really plugged in to the deeper Sea of Thieves community. Obviously, you know, I am as far as, like, the rare fandom is concerned, like, the traditional rare fandom and the kind of Venn diagram overlap there of Sea of Thieves. But when you get into just the Sea of Thieves diehards, I'm not really part of that crowd. They don't know me. I don't know them. <laughs> we keep our distance. And and so that 
being on the Keelhole podcast was when I first heard that there were there were grumbles about season two and uh, nothing's happening. It's, it's just they just nothing's going on. We don't like this event. And I was like, okay, that's news to me because I thought it was fine. I don't know. Uh, yeah. Jeff, maybe you can elaborate on it because I'm well, clearly in the dark. They had been throughout 2020 and even before that, 2019, doing this kind of monthly cadence of like really trying to push a new feature every month. And they, and it was like boom, 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 like like laying the track down in front of the cart as it's moving like yeah tracky train and the tracky train in front of the tracky train as it's tracking and uh so the issue with that the reason they moved to the season structure is it kind of will give them more breathing room to deliver um a uh, a predictable cadence of when are those big features coming mhm and then when are the kind of off months in between and ideally allow them to build up their development time to deliver bigger features um, at a predictable cadence than they had been doing before. And so that's great. We were excited about that change to the format and what that promised, but it also kind of came also with a, this kind of understanding of like, but don't expect a whole lot right away as we e- get ourselves kind of into this development cadence. That was kind of the thing. It was like, you know, it's going to take a little while to really deliver on that promise of having a big season every, you know, a big key feature set every season. And I think in hindsight, now that we do know that season three was colossally large, um, (laughs) it makes makes sense in hindsight why season one and two were a little more scant. That being said. And, and last episode, if you go back to our last Sea of Thieves episode where we recapped season one and the latter half of 2020, or the latter third of 2020, um, season one, in my opinion, had less in it than season two. But a lot of what we talked about was just the newness of the season structure and the progression system and all of that stuff. So that was the kind of the new feature of season one in a, in a large sense. And so people look at season two and they thought, Oh, there's nothing. There's not, it's not enough. It's not big enough. It's not new enough. And in my opinion, season two was bigger than season one, which is really all you can ask for is that they're building up bigger each, you know, and it just doesn't feel that way because season one had the newness of the season format and the progression system and the trials and all of that stuff. And season two, it's a little bit like, okay, uh, now I'm used to what it is to play in a Sea of Thieves season. Give me something new to sink my teeth into. And maybe people felt it was a little scant in that regard. But And we're going to talk about what it does do uh, here now. Yeah, you know, s- season one felt like the game was fresh. And I think a lot of people, when we got season two, and it it was just more of the same. And it wasn't more of the same, as we'll get into, because they did add quite a bit, uh, one big new feature. But they they also did a lot of, like, the normal quality of life improvements. Um, But but I think that... uh, I, I don't know. I, I think, like, once everything reset for, for season two, and... It, it was just 
I, I don't know. I think I think the expectations got out of whack as they often do. And for me, I mean, having a a living rare game that that's updated all the time and has a continual stream of new content is still so novel. Even you know, uh, what what is it? Three years into the game, over three years into the game, that I'm I I think it's silly to complain. Like if if the game had stopped updating at this point and it was just a game that you can continue to play but there is no new content it would still be so robust and there would still be a lot of ways to experience it and and have fun adventures that i wouldn't see any reason to complain but people like to complain people people feel entitled for for the free updates so uh i, I don't know i I, th- I think it's Silly, especially now that we know what they were working on. Uh, right. So, I mean, just come on. Time takes time. And also in the middle of a pandemic. And also with one of the largest updates they ever made being worked on in the background and taking a lot of their time and resources. Also, in collaboration with the most massive entertainment conglomerate in the world, uh who has all sorts of red tape you've got to work around. Yeah, it's... For anyone that was dissatisfied with Season 2, I will disagree on the grounds of... Yeah, I I personally don't think Season 2 is as big and new as I would like a season to be. And I hope, going forward, most seasons have more to offer than Season 2 had. But it didn't bother me at the time because I knew... That was kind of the the deal. That was them telling us right away it was going to take them some time to build up uh, behind the scenes what they were d- delivering with sure. these seasons. So, and I think that if you're kind of already bored of the game or out of the game, season two didn't do anything that was going to bring you back. If you were someone who played the game eighty hours a week, season two wasn't going to add anything that was going to give you, you know dozens of hours to sink your teeth into um but if you're someone who is enjoying playing the game uh it did add new things and improvements to make that you know i think it's this kind of outliers on the extremes the people who play the game way too much or the people who are looking for an excuse to jump back into the game who aren't playing it um they were dissatisfied everyone in the middle had something here to to you know, keep them playing. And maybe that's the key. You know, I, I play once a week, usually uh, what one big session per week. And so I'm always invested in what's happening there. And I will admit season two didn't feel as special as season one, nor does it feel as special as season three, which we're currently in, but it's understandable, you know, and, and there were still a lot of cool things that kept my interest, kept me coming back and made me want to, you know, check it all off, get get everything completed, get all the events taken care of. Uh, and there were a lot of memorable moments along the way. So let's just get into it. Let's talk about the, I think the biggest new feature in Season 2 were the Forts of Fortune. And when I say I think, I mean the biggest new feature. It's not me. It's not me thinking it. It's just a matter of fact. The, the most substantive like big thing added to the game with lasting influence is probably the Forts of Fortune. And this this is something that wouldn't normally excite me because I'm not 
when the game was new, right, and, and forts were, like, all the rage, just, like, skeleton forts, let's, let's go do right. a skeleton fort, it, it wasn't where my interest really lied. I, I, I wasn't what I, we called derisively a fort bro, where all we cared about was going to a fort, doing, doing the fort raid, uh, fighting other crews at the fort. Uh, I, I was kind of, like, off, off making my own merriment and adventures, and the forts were just sort of, oh, you know, maybe if the mood strikes us, we'll do a fort. But in our streams, we never prioritize them. But the forts of fortune, once I actually did them, I <laughs> it, it felt like forts used to feel in the game uh, when, when we would actually do them in that it was it's full of danger subterfuge uh double crossing triple crossing it it felt like an event which is the entire point behind the forts of fortune it's to basically make the skeleton forts special again so maybe i'm getting ahead of myself here and i'll say for the audience if if you're kind of new to sea of thieves or even uh, a listener who doesn't play sea of thieves skeleton forts are uh these locations on the map that on occasion, a cloud will appear in the sky, visible across the entire horizon to every player, and it's a cloud that's shaped like a skull. And there are other clouds like this, but basically clouds of a certain shape signify there is a raid, if you if you know MMO terminology, or there is a activity going on at this location that is going to get you a ton of treasure if you complete it, if you go through this battle. Uh, but the problem is that everybody can see that cloud, and you may run into other people that want to fight you over the opportunity to do it. Or you may run into people that maybe they would cooperate with you, and you could team up to do it. Um, so that's what the forts are. And the forts of fortune, the what makes them different from a normal fort? Well... Back when the game launched, forts were the only type of activity like this. And they only appeared on a server like once every three hours. So every time that cloud did appear, it was this moment of like, oh shit, there's a cloud up. There's a skull fort. Should we go do it? Like you instantly have to grapple with the the question. Are we going to stop everything we're doing right now and go do that and then make that decision? And then over time, they changed it. They added a lot more world events like that. And now there's basically a world event going on all the time. If there's a four up and someone completes it within five, 10 minutes, another cloud will go up and there's always an activity to do. And that kind of kills that feeling of like, oh shit, it's up. Should we go do it? Should we stop what we're doing right now and go do it? Um, And the Fort of Fortune is an attempt to bring that back. Because a Fort of Fortune is a special uh, variety of fort that is very rare. It doesn't come up all the time. So when you do see one pop up, you do get that sensation of, oh, this is actually not a common thing we can do anytime we want. Do we want to go do it? Yeah, and it, there's. it's also... Even if you're not paying attention to the sky or the horizon and looking for the world event clouds, because, you know, the the f- traditional skeleton fort 
is just Skull Cloud. But then they added ship battles, which they have a, a ship cloud. And then they added the uh, Flameheart battles. And you can see Flameheart's head in the sky. And then they added the Ashen Winds. And you see the Red Tornado uh, in the distance. But uh, the, the Forts of Fortune, they have a big, glowing, fiery orange skull. But even if you're not paying attention, you you know it's been activated because you can hear this horn. Uh, and it's just, it's a very eerie, unsettling thing. You can be going about your business and then all of a sudden you hear this foreboding like, horn of death and, and you know that the Fort of Fortune is up. And all of a sudden, yeah, because it is a rarer event and because it's so much more lucrative than any of the other world events that you have to then stop and ask yourself, hey, I know we set out to do XYZ today, but now there's a Fort of Fortune up. We're we're all here. Should we try to take advantage of this? And then you have to, you know, weigh, well, we've got all this treasure on board, so we're gonna have to go sell it because we don't want to go to the fort with the treasure on on the ship. But then if we sell it, then are we wasting time and we're not gonna get there and who knows what's gonna be waiting for us. And you know, I, I've had more antagonistic encounters in the game at a Fort of Fortune than I have anywhere else in a long time. You are almost guaranteed. I think I've had one Fort of Fortune where nobody on the server bothered us. But you're almost guaranteed to run into somebody who is there to steal the treasure from, from you or to you know snatch glory out from underneath you at the last moment. So and that's kind of the appeal, right? So that's this right. notion of like you know you're probably going to face trouble if you try to do it. So you need to factor that into your calculations of do I want to try or not? Because if you don't enjoy that, if you don't enjoy being uh having to defend yourself, having to have that paranoia and and wonder like are you know am i gonna have to defend myself or like is that ship on the horizon coming to us if you don't like that you don't have to do the fort of fortune it's all optional but for a lot of people that is a unique kind of emotion and and excitement that you don't get all the time and you might purposely want to get that i am not as we would call a fort bro that's just not the way i play the game i i tend to avoid antagonistic encounters but uh, when you have nothing to lose, and a lot of times it feel I feel like the Forts of Fortune have come up right early on in a, one of our sessions. So we feel like, well, we haven't actually started anything yet. Uh, why don't we go do this? And when you, when you don't have anything to lose, when you're just doing it for the hell of it, that's where it's kind of exciting for me and not just a source of anxiety and... Um, as you said, paranoia, because you are paranoid. You're, you're constantly scanning the horizon. You are, uh, as we'll discuss, looking for suspicious architecture that wasn't there before, or rather uh, props of the, uh, the fort that you didn't recognize before because there's a new level of camouflage. And you're, you're just kind of... S- spiraling into the, this sort of paranoid conspiracy laden mentality 
all the while you were battling hordes of skellies, and not just normal skellies, not just skeleton captains, but skeleton lords and an ashen lord. Uh, and I, I love how the the forts of fortune kind of combine different elements. Like you've got the skeleton lords that you would have at a normal skeleton fort, but then you also at it, it, it culminates in a battle against an ashen lord, which are the 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 encounters in the ashen winds battles. So it it's it's kind of a great way to experience that in addition to a skeleton fort. All the while, you you are constantly worried about other crews scoping you out, and um, aside from the like lengthier fight with more bigger threats, the main gimmick that makes it slightly different from just being a longer, harder fort is uh, the fact that the captains will drop these uh, maps where. If you kill a skeleton captain, it drops a map, and you pick up the map, and it shows that the skeletons have buried, like, ar- armaments, like like weapon stashes and stuff, on the island. And so as you're going, if you stop every so often and look at these maps, you can go around and dig up explosives, you could dig up chests of rage, or ashen winds skulls, which are handheld flamethrowers. And things like that that then you can use in the fight, and it will speed up the fight if you're getting that stuff. And not only are you using it as a weapon in the fight, but it's also treasure you can sell at the end in addition to all of the treasure that you get out of the the secret vault at the end. So uh, that is what makes it... It's a slight tweak to the kind of gameplay of a fort, but it can make it have a very different feel because... How often are you on a fort running around with an ashen wind skull, flamethrowing the skeletons? Not that often, but on the right. Fort of Fortune, it can happen. It's it's not just treasure you sell for money, but also you get commendations when you sell that. So if you are like me and you, and you care very much about ticking off those boxes and like completing these uh, these objectives, then. Uh, it, it definitely matters, and that's why you don't want another crew to swoop in. It's not just about the gold, the, the in-game monetary currency. It's about uh, the objectives you're working towards for, like, the, the closest thing you have towards uh, making um, progress in the game. You can't beat Sea of Thieves, but you can clear out all of these objectives and commendations and that's where, for me, the stress comes in. Because if I really want to get a Fort of Fortune credit, um, then I don't want another crew to open that vault. You know, so it, it, it's it, it got to the point where the first couple of Forts of Fortune we did, uh, or at least you did with me, I all I cared about was opening that vault. I didn't care about the treasure inside. I was like, I am willing to sacrifice all of that treasure and all the treasure that we might dig up along the way so long as it's our crew that opens the vault. So you just kind of... You're also thinking in those terms, like what's most important for me and what am I willing to sacrifice if another crew or two other crews are looking to to swoop in and, and cause chaos. So... It, it definitely is this level of strategic thinking that does make Fort special again. It 
it does feel like the skeleton forts used to. And they, they've had to basically just up everything. Like, it's such a grandoise kind of spectacle now compared to what skeleton forts used to be and still are because the normal skeleton forts are still in the game. But, you know, they, they've just had to kind of go with this overkill. And, and you know, that's just gradual escalation as a game uh, continues. And, you know, you're going to just get bigger and bigger and bigger. Um so you mentioned that kind of a certain contingent of players that didn't like season two or weren't impressed. It's not new. It's all old stuff. Um, and we touched on this in our last Sea of Thieves episode when we recapped season one and when we talked about the fate of the damned event before season one. Um, a big thing that I think comes into play with the Fort of Fortune, like a talking point in the community, is the idea of uh a brand, what is a brand new feature and what is a recycled feature that um and r- the word recycle is now just like a bad word in the sea of thieves community it's like what they use to insult new features but it's like uh the fort of fortune doesn't add a new weapon it doesn't add a new enemy type it doesn't add uh any new kinds of treasures or curses or anything along those lines what it does is it takes the idea of fighting waves of skeletons on a fort it adds it it makes it tougher and longer with uh, more bosses and it adds the twist that you can pick up these uh, weapons throughout like bombs and and, uh, flamethrowers and chests of rage which are like fire bursting boxes and and, and all of this is just stuff that's already in the game, but then they add the twist on it uh, by combining it in new ways. They combine existing things in new ways, and then they made the whole fort itself something that only pops up rarely and gives you, t- like, tons of treasure, and specifically Athena's Fortune legendary treasure, which, right. is rare, which is rare and hard to find. And so, in my opinion, this is a perfect kind of feature. This is exactly the kinds of features that I want to see all the time because it's taking stuff you already have in your toolkit as a developer, stuff that's already been created, you're combining it in new ways to give new feelings and new types of sensations in in the gameplay because it feels exciting in the way that forts used to feel. You don't have to invent a whole new feature in order to get that feeling. And they did it. Yeah, exactly. I, 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 that's why I don't understand the mentality that, oh, they didn't add anything. Oh, they didn't add enough. Oh, they just reused old assets. Just like, come on. Like, I, I, I'm someone who likes Sea of Thieves. I love Sea of Thieves. Sea of Thieves is in my, my top echelon of games of all time at this point. And, oh no, they, they took something I liked and they made it a little bit better. How dare they? I, I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe I just have enough to worry about in my life that I'm not getting upset about a game that I really like adding things. <laughs> I don't know. I don't get it, Jeff. I don't get it. I think it's this idea. Oh, I mean, if you are the fort bro, which as we've called them, people who are just hopping from fort to fort, just looking for fights and just getting the fort treasure and they're not like doing anything else. They don't care about the events. 
They don't care about the stories. They don't care about the voyages. And they just want to get into fights at forts. If you're that type of player, and maybe you probably play more than once a week, like, you know, a lot more often than Heil plays. Um, yeah, maybe you just play the same features so often that you're bored of it. Um, and I think that that's a part of the of the community. There's the, the contingent of players that will play the game 50 hours a week. And those are the ones that are always complaining the game doesn't have enough to do. And it's like, are you kidding me? If this game didn't have enough to do, you wouldn't be playing 50 hours a week for years on end. Yeah. Like, you would have quit by now. But, like, of course the game's not going to come up with entirely bespoke new features every month that are going to satisfy someone who wants to play 200 hours a month. Uh, like, that's just not going to happen. Um, but, like, the way that Hyle and I have engaged with the Fort of Fortune, it's like, we like forts, but this has given that sensation of, like, a special fort that you actually want to fight over, that you actually need to consider, will I drop what I'm doing and go do this fort because it's so special? They made that sensation without introducing a crazy bespoke new set of features and that's impressive in and of itself and i think that for the average player it has enhanced the game it has been a feature that is exciting and new to engage with it only is boring if you're the player that's going to server hop and do forts of fortune over and over and over again like four nights a week yeah to, to those people may i recommend and look this might sound a bit catty for me uh and look i i'm not somebody who keeps his gaming life balance in check i run dk vine Uh, my job is a donkey kong journalist so believe me i i'm not one to talk but have you considered going outside and smelling the air (laughs) i i don't know like to me it it just seems like if you're if you're this burned out on sea of thieves that you 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 play 50 hours a week and you've done everything uh 100 times over Maybe uh, find a local park, uh, feed some birds, uh, see a squirrel. I, I don't know. These are all just ideas that come to my mind for how you can enrich your own life rather than ask Rare to do it for you. <laughs> just yeah. crazy thoughts. We've all seen that kind of. We've all seen the kind of like Steam review of a game. It's like one star review this game is ass and then you click on their profile and it says that they've played that game 1500 hours (laughs) and that's that's where i feel like i get with these people it's like man you're complaining so much about a game that you play 50 hours a week you know like and and i'm all about being dedicated to the point of absurdity to a, a game or a series or a developer again hi i'm Kyle russell from off of dk vine but here's the thing. If if you're playing Sea of Thieves, you probably have uh, a Game Pass subscription. You can try out another game. <laughs> you, you, you can break up the monotony if you're bored because you play so much. You, you, you can try something else and, and, and then miss Sea of Thieves a bit and then come back to it. And, oh, it feels oh so fresh because I haven't played it that much this week. I don't know, Jeff. I, I'm a man with crazy ideas and I keep spewing them out and, and maybe I should keep them to myself because I'm just doing nothing but upsetting I wanna, people. But I, I want to get a t-shirt. It just says like a quote from Heil Russell. Uh, 
if you're getting burnout on Sea of Thieves, try to go see a squirrel. <laughs> uh, well, <laughs> con- conquer live and reloaded is free uh, with with Game Pass this this uh, month, or at least for the first half of the month. So Game, games with gold, it's a games, games with, with gold. gold thing, not a games not with a game gold. Pass thing. Yeah, yeah, games with gold. So uh, maybe maybe you uh, you see that squirrel. You don't even have to go outside to see that squirrel that I'm talking about. I don't know. Jeff, I don't know. Now, let's get out of the abstract and let's actually talk about specific encounters we had at the Fort of Fortune. Or a a specific encounter. And this is where we can talk about Sea of Thieves all night, all day long. But unless you actually play Sea of Thieves and you play it with friends... You won't really understand the magic that is Sea of Thieves because uh, Sea of Thieves, uh, you know, it, it is at this point a finely tuned machine with loads of content. But the magic of the game, the, the quintessential appeal and charm of it, are the weird encounters you have along the way that will become stories you tell with the friends that shared them. And running jokes and anecdotes and just the, the the kind of things that really make you feel like you are going on an adventure with your buddies. And we we had one of those at a Fort of Fortune. I, I want to say it was maybe the second one we ever did a, as a group on this DK Vine stream. Where I, I don't even know where to begin. We were on the Fort of Fortune. And everything was going fine, right? I think. Oh, you know what it was, Kyle? I think yeah. there was a Fort of the Damned up. Yes. So another crew was doing the Fort of the Damned. And we think, you know, this is a perfect opportunity to do that Fort of Fortune. Because probably the most PvP heavy players on the server right now are the ones doing that Fort of the Damned. Which is a different kind of Fort. If you yeah, don't the, know, fort of the, damned, the Fort of the Damned can be activated. Kind of the Fort of the Dam can be activated uh, at any time so long as you put in the uh, essential components. Is that a fixed fort on the map? Uh, it's a sort of center north uh, of the Sea of Thieves. And if you bring all the flames from the Fairy of the Damned along with the Ritual Skull, you can activate it and do it. And then the cloud for the Fort of the Dam comes up and then lets everyone know, hey, the Fort of the Dam has been activated and but if if you see a fort of the dam that's active then you know somebody who really likes doing forts is on the server and they couldn't even wait for a fort they had to do the fort of the damned and with the fort of the dam comes with its own cadre of commendations and treasure and you know different sorts of things that you might want to aim for that are different from the regular skeleton forts or the Forts of Fortune. But yeah, the Fort of the Damned was up while a Fort of Fortune came up. So we were thinking, hey, if the Fort Bros are already occupied with the Fort of the Damned, we're going to go ahead and do this uh, Fort of Fortune, and maybe we can get it done before they're done with the Fort of the Damned. Win-win, right? They get to do their Fort of the Damned, we get to do the Fort of Fortune, and our paths may not cross. (laughs) <laughs> so we were doing the fort of fortune 
and you know you you get kind of sucked into it because you 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 fight the waves of skellies and then the skeleton lords come out which are these you know unique characters like the mutinous helmsman and the two-faced scoundrel and the duchess so skellies with a sort of unique character and personality and there's also accommodations you know defeat the duchess 50 times or or whatever and so you want to like get those done too so you you even though you're looking for other crews you kind of eventually get into the flow of the battle on the fort itself and you can kind of get a little bit of tunnel vision so i i we, we were still like looking out to make sure that the fort of the damned was up and it was um but because we were constantly it's, dying. It's the, it's the fairy of the damned. Yes. It's a really fun, and I have a story I'm going to share later about the fairy of the damned, but okay. it's the, it, but the fairy of the damned is great for these kind of wild encounters that you mentioned. It's like kind of unique encounters that just make you say, what? And the fairy of the damned is good for that because it's where you go when you die and you're waiting to respawn. But everyone on the server, even if they're off doing their own thing, if they die at the same time that you die, you're going to run into each other there and you have these encounters. Yeah. So because we were dying quite a bit because the Fort of Fortune has a load of skellies and lots of stuff happening and you will die. And because they were on the Fort of the Damned also, again, dying a lot. We were meeting up with this crew on the Ferry of the Damned, this kind of... uh, ethereal way station uh this this um sort of waiting room while you're waiting to go back into the land of the living this little timeout the game provides and so they knew why they kept seeing us we knew why we kept seeing them and these little cocky bastards man they were uh (laughs) they, they were feeling their oats they uh they came over to me on the Ferry of the Damned. And uh, this isn't a verbatim quote. This is just how I remember it. But uh, it, it was basically the one person came over to me and said, Hey, hey, are you, are you doing the, uh, the the Fort of Fortune? Hey. It's like, yeah. yeah. We're coming to sink you. <laughs> that was it and then that that was the end of, that was the end of our discussion and i was like okay and and we kept seeing them after that and it was just i, I think it was another time and maybe I, maybe i'm conflating this in my brain maybe i'm like building it up into a bigger exaggeration as the human brain does but i think again they, they came up to me and said hey hey we're coming to sink you <laughs> it had the cadence of those classic Mumechi calls to the conversation where it was just kind of like matter of fact blase, but w- with his underlying hostility. <laughs> uh, anyway, so eventually the Fort of the Dam cloud went down and we were like, okay, they're done with the Fort of the Dam, but they have to get all of their treasure on board. But they might be coming for us because they told us as much. And uh, we we saw, I think this is when we saw their ship 
very obviously hiding just off the horizon. I think they were like at the closest island to the Fort of Fortune. And they were trying to hide from us, but we still saw them. And obviously they were just waiting us out. Um, Long story short, did they come and sink us? Yes. Yes, they did. However, uh, we did get the fort opened. So we got the commendation for it, which at the time was all I was really concerned about. I didn't think I was going to get the treasure. Because when, when there's a brand new feature in Sea of Thieves generally everybody's trying to do it and you're like yeah i i might not actually get away with this but so long as i get the commendation for it i'll take that as a win uh, we, we've had far more successful forts of fortune recently but that that encounter sticks out of my mind is just um the, the kind well, it's, of it's so the combat around a fort is so different usually than combat around any other island because the fort itself is surrounded by these towers of cannons. Yeah. And it's also around the island generally like spawns a lot of gunpowder explosives, like the TNT barrels of Sea of Thieves. And so like, it's not hard to sink someone at a fort. If we're parked there, even if we're in a good defensive position and a good position to escape, you you don't have to bring your ship over and engage us in combat. You just have to swim over, get into a tower and shoot at us, or find an explosive and blow us up. And so, I mean, we played well. We played defensively. They still got in and sank us, and we kind of knew that was going to happen. Um, but I think we maybe hid some of the treasure. I don't remember what happened there, but I think we maybe hid some of the treasure from them. And then got away with it later. Or I also think that we went back to the Fort of the Damned, which they had done. And we looked around for leftover treasure that they didn't grab in their rush. And we got some. I don't th- I don't know if we got any. I, I, I remember not finding anything at the Fort of the Damned. I thought they had left like the Reaper's chests. And we went to the Reaper's hideout. Or I could be conflating this with another experience. Because I, think, I did the Fort of Fortune more than a few times. Yeah, I think you might be conflating the the Reaper's Chest, which leave a little emblem on the the map table. So you're you're you've got like this marker that other crews will know that you know you have this chest. Uh, I think that might have been another time that a crew was using a Reaper's Chest as kind of a bait. But uh, yeah, either way. Um, yeah, the, the Fort of Fortune just opens it itself up to you can do the whole thing and another crew will just swoop in and steal all the glory. Uh, it's kind of like Mario Kart where, you know, you can lead the entire race and then all, is, all it takes is just one damn shell at the very last stretch and you get fourth or fifth, you know. Um, you just get the victory snatched from you. But, it, you know you kind of have to go in with these expectations of this isn't going to go entirely my way. And like, th- this is what our objective is. If your objective is to get that Athena's chest inside of there, then, then that will change the way you're approaching it. Whereas if the objective is just to open the vault itself and get the commendation that also influences it. it it's kind of this like, and, and for a lot of people, the struggle of it, the adversity, 
is the fun. Yeah. It, it for, for, you know, and it can be unfun. It really depends on the kind of people that attack you. Some people can make that a miserable experience. And, you know, if, for example, if you can't handle trash talk, then my recommendation is to go into the settings and just mute people because you yeah. can have it just by, you can by default mute everybody and not have to even worry about it. And that is a valuable tool. Um, but like sometimes I can get my ass kicked and have the most fun. Like, because it's like, oh man, like we didn't come out on top, but the fight was close and uh, fun. And like, or other times maybe I do come out on top and then, then it's even more fun. But like, you know, if I think the trash talk component is what turns off a lot of people from the PVP. But if you can hide from that, then PvP doesn't have to be something that ruins your day. Especially if you can, like Heil said, if you can kind of take miniature uh, victories out of it. Like, we didn't get the treasure, but we did get the commendation, that kind of thing. Yeah, and especially now, as we mentioned with the season progression, even if you lose everything, you still gain... Uh, season progression renown. So, you know, you, you might not even get the vault opened. You might you might walk away completely empty-handed as far as I was trying to do this uh, I, I, with the Fort of Fortune and I was completely sunk and killed and they got everything. But you will still get season renown. So... You know, it, it, you're never wasting your time. Another another aspect of strategy there could be, I mentioned that there's these maps you pick up, then you can use the maps to dig up uh, treasures that you can use as weapons. Um, and those are fun and useful in the fight. But if you're afraid that, you know, maybe a crew already tried to kill you and you sank them, but you know they're going to come back, that kind of thing, or, or you're just afraid someone's going to come at any moment, you could save those maps don't dig up those maps and wait. And when the fort is over and the cloud is gone and you've already been sunk and lost all the treasure and then every they've left and it's all said and done, you can come back to this now vacant island and dig up all those treasures. Yeah. So you still got something out of it. You could get Ashen Wind Skulls, Chests of Rage, that all the good stuff. And so you can still get something out of it that way. If that's one way to strategize that, to, like, save some treasure hidden in the ground with maps that only you know how to get to. Yeah. Overall, I like the Fort of Fortune. I'm not somebody who traditionally liked the forts, or... No, I didn't dislike the forts, but it wasn't really my style of gameplay. I'm not into these raids. But... But, being more experienced with the game now, being a little bit more confident... And having a more detached view uh, as far as not really caring if if we get sunk, not really caring if we lose, um, taking these minor victories. I've had a lot of fun with the Fort of Fortune uh, so far. I, I think I've done it four times now, and uh, each time has been more fun along the way. Uh, granted, the last time we did it, we did it with a server takeover where we got, we procured two galleons for our friends. And so there were, there were around eight of us doing the Fort of Fortune together and no other crew messed with us. 
it was the first time we've never had any hostile encounter, maybe because everybody saw there were two galleons at the fort and they just stayed away. But um, so that, that was the only time where I've actually gotten basically everything out of the deal, including the vault treasure. But even if we had lost, I, I've been having a lot of enjoyment out of it. And it, it's, hey, it's weird. Hey, Kyle, yeah. Hey. Yeah. Yeah. Hey. Hey, guess what? What? I'm going to I'm going to sink you. <laughs> you know, I it's- like you can't hate somebody who just outright tells you <laughs> matter-of-factly that they're going to kill you. It's it's one of those weird encounters that has just now worked its way into our vocabulary on stream. Yeah. It's just informed the the sub the subculture, the inside jokes. Had John Wayne Gacy just walked up to his victims and said, "Hey, Hey, guess what? I'm going to kill you. Would anybody really convict him? Yeah, I mean, it's not illegal if you announce it. (laughs) I think if he had done that, we'd be celebrating John Wayne Gacy. Good point, Heil. (laughs) Great point, I think. What else did they add (laughs) to the game in Season 2, Jeff? Uh, It wasn't just the Fort of Fortune. There was a lot of little bits and bobs, because if it was just the Fort of Fortune, it's the kind of thing that would easily, like, maybe be ignored by 90% of players. I think that the Fort of Fortune is a rare occurrence, so if that was the only new feature, some players might never even run into it, and that would not make it feel like a very new update. But there were other things. There were other things. There were some little things, like the fact that skeleton captains that you kill out in the world will drop these gold pouches that you can pick up and then instantly get some gold without even delivering the tra- like the skull. Um, yeah. And that's just like, okay, neat. That's neat. Okay. Um, it's like finding a uh, penny. The- it's like finding a penny on the ground. You're like, oh, it doesn't really add much to my wealth, but hey, look at me. I just, I'm one cent richer. It's a little bit like they're paying you up front a little. They're like, all right, do this job for me and I'll pay you. But I'll also pay you 10% up front just for taking the job. And, feels good. and I'm like, ooh, okay, it feels good. Uh, then there, another little thing, uh, they have now kind of reinvested uh, in the emissary ledgers, which yeah. are like a monthly leaderboard for each company. So for each of the companies, if you choose to sail as an emissary, you can move up a leaderboard of the global player base. And if you land in the top 25%, you get some rewards. If you're in the next 25%, you get some lesser rewards, etc. And now they've made it so that they're updating those rewards every season. So there's now a reason to get into that top tier for every company every season. And then, you know, if you if you fail to do that, the rewards don't go away. They're just kind of stacking up. And you're, you know, you're, you're falling behind, but they're always, like, in theory there. So it's not that, you know... So that, I think, is good for the kind of very dedicated players, the ones that play way too much that we talked about earlier, um, (laughs) because those are the ones that maybe care about where they land on a leaderboard, and now they have a a reward for doing so more often. Um, But again, not really a game changer, just kind of a nice little thing. I call those people the great squirrelists. The what, would you say? The great squirrelists. Those that lack squirrels, squirrel less, squirrel less. 
is such a hard word to parse. Squirrelless. It's all right. All right. So they have no squirrels. I get it now. The, I those that lack, to be those that lack squirrels in our lives. Yeah. The great squirrelless. Sad. It's just sad. It's it's they need to do like a PSA about these people that never see squirrels. <laughs> um, what can we do? You know, what can I do to help? But aside from that, there was uh, one a kind of major new feature that in the on paper feels major, but I don't engage with it ever anymore after it stopped being new for like a day. Um, and that is the at the Merchant Alliance, you can buy commodity crates and then deliver them to another outpost for profit. Yeah. In in my opinion, they've they've been doing a lot of little things over the years trying to expand the Merchant Alliance because the Merchant Alliance is seen as the most boring activity. <laughs> and and in my opinion, this one that they added is probably the most boring one. They didn't make it less boring, but at least it's another way to get to kind of get merchant reputation faster and so if you want to just get the boring company of the merchants over with quickly this is quickest so i you have basically to be, can buy all the, yeah go ahead Hal. i have to be honest with you jeff i forgot all about this i remember we did yeah, it we did it for like a week yeah, yeah we did we did it for it a week done. and then there were more exciting things to worry about and i completely forgot this was in the game uh <laughs> you know, and I, I think it's fine. Like, I, again, like, I'm not going to ding Sea of Thieves or Rare for, for having this. Uh, th- there are merchant voyages I quite enjoy. I like the, the sunken merchant ledgers. What are they called? Uh, lost lost shipments. Lost, lost shipments. shipments. Yeah, I like those. I like them so much I couldn't remember the name. But uh, like, I think that's kind of a more fun kinetic merchant voyage. Uh, and you know, I I even find the charm in some of the original ones, like uh, catching chickens and uh, even cargo like haul- yeah. hauling the uh, yeah cargo, the the soil cloths and the cracked rum bottles. But uh, this one, yeah, I completely forgot all about it. Like you just said, it's fine. It it gives you a little bit more option and variety towards getting to level seventy five with the Merchant Alliance. Uh, the merchants are the most boring of the the three original OG, as the kids like to say, trading companies. But I think it. You know, I I like that there's a boring one. I like that there's a stuffed shirt, purely capitalistic bunch of detestable people in the sea of thieves detestable for a game full of pirates mind you like a completely antithetical to the pirate lifestyle and i i think the merchant alliance they're they're perfect foils for like the gold hoarders or the order of souls in their defense i'll say this when they added in cargo runs a couple years ago i really enjoyed um doing cargo runs as a kind of mindless activity while I was solo, when I needed something to do solo that's not hard, because sailing, sailing solo can be harder, and I could just go and knock off the commendations by doing cargo runs in my free time. And I feel like uh, this is one of those kinds of activities. You just sail from outpost to outpost and drop off crates. But my problem with it is this. They basically have these crates you can buy, 
And then they have a little book that you can read that tells you each type of good, like there's rocks and there's sugars and there's tea and all these things. Um, and each type of good will have one outpost in the world where it is in a surplus. They don't want it. And if you go there, they will pay you less. And then there is one outpost in the world that has it in high demand. If you go there, they will pay a, you know, a premium extra for it. So it's a supply and demand uh, economy. Every outpost has something they want and something they don't want. And you buy a bunch of these goods and you sail around delivering them to the outposts. Uh, in theory, that is cool to me. The thing that I don't like about it is that the economy of what outposts want and what outposts don't want only applies to these goods in that you can buy from the outposts. So you, you never discover these goods out in the world at random. And the only way you engage in the economy is if you willingly uh, buy into it and 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 uh opt in to participating in this activity in my opinion it could add a lot to the game if we just went and did a uh shipwreck we pulled out some random treasure and we pulled out a crate of spices and a crate of tea and then we said well which outpost is paying the most for tea maybe we'll save it and sell it there and hold on to it until later uh but you don't get that you don't get that emergent conversation about where should we sell our treasure and and who's paying the most instead you only get that when you're going out of your way to buy these specific goods that you have to opt into buying yeah i think it, it could have added a lot to the game in my opinion and instead it kind of doesn't um but i'm not gonna knock them for it existing it's it's nice to have the option. It's just not something I'm going to engage with much. Right. I, I think the far more influential, impactful thing they added for the merchants in this past season was just being able to buy resource crates from the Merchant Alliance. Yeah, I saved that one for last here because that is actually... actually is a game changer. Yeah, uh, so before, whenever you would load into the game um, and you... You know, you could immediately set sail with the small provisions that your ship provides you. So if you have a sloop, you have less provisions than you if you have a galleon, for example. And provisions include uh, fruit, which you would just be provided with bananas um, or cannonballs and the like fire bombs, blunder bombs, that kind of thing. Uh, planks. Uh, you you would have like five planks on your ship. So if you get a, any holes in your ship, you have that many without finding any others in the world. But traditionally, we would have to go around the outpost and look through the barrels on the outpost and scavenge. So we would have to get wood planks, cannonballs, fruit that way. And so, you know, traditionally, you know, the, it could take anywhere from up to 20 minutes to really get your ship into a well-stocked state. So if you, I mean, load, load into the game and you see that a fort is up or Flameheart is up or an Ashen Winds is up and you want to go do them, then you're like, well, we don't have any supplies, so this could go very badly. But if you take the time to get the supplies, then it, the thing might not be up by the time you actually get there. So what do you do? 
What do you do? Well, now you can just go to the Merchant Alliance on the dock of every outpost and you can buy a crate of, say, 50 cannonballs. And that goes a long way towards, yes, it costs you gold. Yes, you know, if you're trying to amass a fortune, it's a little out of your pocket, but it can save you time. It can get you into the action quicker. Or, for example, if your ship sinks, if if somebody comes up to you on the ferry and says, hey, hey, guess what? I'm going to sink you. Then, you know, they do that and then you lose all of your provisions. So what do you do? Well, now you can just go to an outpost and restock easily. Now, this isn't something you can nerf. This isn't so, it's not like you can just buy, you know, cannonball crate after cannonball crate after cannonball crate. And because you had more gold than the other crew, now you have a thousand cannonballs and you have unlimited ammo to sink them. Um, it, the game cuts you off, um, per outpost. So you can only buy so much. But it's it's a great way to get you back in the action far quicker than you would have been before. Yeah, there are certain activities that I just would feel like we can't do it because we don't have the supplies. You know, especially sea-based activities uh, like naval battles against Flameheart or against the skeleton ships. It would be like, if you don't have enough planks to keep the holes patched up, then there's no point in going there. Like... We're not going to do it. So now it's just like it, we anytime you want, you could just be like, oh, well, I'll just quickly buy one. I'll absorb that cost for our crew. Yeah. And that's a great part of it, too. One player buys it and you can have that one player on your crew. Like, for example, me, who has maybe quite a bit more money than everyone else because I play more often and I can just absorb that cost for the whole crew. I'll buy the things or you can find a way to divvy that up. Say, I'll buy this round. You guys buy the next round uh, next time we need them. And yeah, it's like you get back in the action faster after you sink. You get it. You can get into the action faster when you first spawn. Um, it's it really is a game changer, but it's like subtle because you you aren't going to do it every time, and you don't get the best resources this way. There's still resources out there that you only are going to get from scavenging, like varieties of cannonballs, cursed cannonballs, uh, better fruits. If you buy the fruit. Bas- the fruit case it's only bananas and bananas are the worst of the fruits in the game um so if you want better fruits you still have to scavenge that kind of thing but like it as a very quick like shortcut it's super helpful and has like really made me feel like i'm playing the game more often instead of like scavenging for resources as often as i was by the way, Jeff, I want to come to your defense because you do play the game more than I do, more than Cameron does, um, you know, more than usually anybody we sail with does. But that does not mean you were squirrelless. You have plenty of squirrels. Oh, yeah. I, I, it's all about having a game squirrel balance in life. Uh, and I try to find that balance by playing games that have squirrels in them. Uh huh. Yeah, and you don't complain about Sea of Thieves. No, no, no. You, you, you love it because you, you keep that balance, and I think that balances everything. Ask yourself: When are they going to put where, squirrels in Sea of Thieves? Ocean squirrels, right? Well, we do have the the royal sea oh, squirrel yeah, yeah. figurehead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The royal sea squirrel figurehead. That, that's a good one. That is that's a great that's a great squirrel. Uh, but I would recommend other squirrels in your life to keep the balance because the balance is everything quite frankly uh so 
Yeah, and it's great. Like, uh, the, what what I'll say about that before we move on uh, the the buying commodities uh, re- resources. I mean, uh, is that yeah, you know, it, it's something that your whole crew can share. So, for example, if you know you're sailing with a crew of four people, then somebody will volunteer. I'll buy them first, and then later on in the voyage. Uh, somebody else will be like, all right, it's my turn to buy them. And so there, there is this level of we'll all eat the cost, but then we'll all benefit from it and it'll keep us engaged and we won't have to stop at uh, an outpost or we won't have to make like our friend Briegel and fire from island to island looking for supplies or jumping off whenever we see bobbing barrels, uh, the, the flotsam in, in the water. Although you know, we'll still do that. Although we'll still do that because we're looking for rare fish. But. We're looking for rare fish, and you might find rare fish in those supply barrels. But you don't have to do it as much now. So it, it is, I think, just one more way to keep the game moving freely and and quickly. And you don't have to just stop everything because you need wood planks. So, yeah. And, and they and do it limit greases, it. They, it greases the wheel do, a little bit. Yeah, they do limit it per outpost, so uh, a well-financed crew can't nerf it, essentially, and be cheese unstoppable. It. The word you're looking for is cheese. Cheese, I'm sorry. Well, you can't buy cheese in the game either. In fact, there are n- there's no dairy whatsoever in Sea of Thieves, as far as I can recall. I mean, there's mammals, and by the existence of mammals kind of implies the existence of milk, but you don't get to see it. Like, the pigs are never, like drippy you know yeah it's like now it would be great if you could milk the pigs in sea of thieves and all these people complaining (laughs) like hey hey heil hey heil yeah i'm gonna milk you (laughs) see if people were complaining that season two didn't have enough milking in it i would totally agree with that because i would say I, I don't have a comeback to that. You're right. Season two doesn't have enough milking in it. If that's what you're looking for in your gaming experience, I, I you got me. I can't imagine like a tropical island, like sailing a boat out at sea in like humid, hot weather. You don't have refrigerators because they weren't invented, and you're a pirate captain, and you just pour yourself a stiff glass of milk. It just <laughs> It doesn't happen. You know, but, refrigerated... But it's past- a fantasy world, you know. Yeah, re- refrigerated pasteurized milk still gives me the, the most explosive diarrhea. So I can't imagine what the Sea of Thieves blend would do to me. Wouldn't it be good? Like, it's like squirrel milk. <laughs> which I've not I, tried, but, you know, I'll try squ- anything I, once. I think squirrel milk would be very nutty. It would be like almond milk, but it would still come from the teat if that's the deal breaker for you. Oh, yeah. So it's like if you if you if you don't want to go full dairy, but you don't like almond milk, this is in between. It's yeah. almond milk filtered through a mammal. It's like half and half. <laughs> <laughs> oh, cool. <laughs> Indeed. But there is one more like really kind of notable feature of season two and it's not really a feature but it is and it's actually in my opinion the meatiest most kind of memorable feature of season two and it came actually as a cosmetic in yeah, th- the season progression 
this is a bit weird to me the way you got this because I feel like it's far too important and far too much of a tactical resource as far as like how you can play the game to be locked away as a reward uh, in season progression then then not every pirate not every player might have access to or not even know that it's buried in there you you're so used to kind of it, you might be a player that ignores those rewards and like oh i'm unlocking a, a new jacket i'm not going to change my jacket so i'm not even going to look at those rewards but then yeah. you realize that the coolest thing of season two is just one of those rewards i think it was like level 14 or something it, it was relatively low in, in you know the the reward progression but i i would be amazed if they didn't offer this again somewhere down the line because if somebody's just joining the game now because jack sparrow uh, i i I like disney i i want to see what's happening with with uh with with funny pirates of the caribbean characters very broad jeff they're very broad um (laughs) then you're like, wait, how's that? How's that player doing this? I want to do that. Oh no, I can't. Well, I I don't think any of the most of the rewards on the season track are not supposed to be time limited. Yeah, and they just have like not yet implemented how they're going to reintroduce them. I think it's just going to be a pretty simple case of like, oh, if you miss season two, you'll be able to go in and buy the stuff that you missed. Most most of it. I don't know how it's going to work, but. But this is the what we're talking about, that is, is the barrel disguise emote. And from a DK Vine perspective, how could we not talk about this? How could we not love this? And if you watch any of our Sea of Thieves streams on Sundays, then you'll just you'll you'll see us just pulling this out when we're just fiddling about. Just one of us will be hiding in a barrel like a clobber. Uh, just what we do. You can't help yourself. It's just, oh, I can hide in a barrel? Yes, please. I'll do that. Yes. Uh, it was like when they added monkeys to the game, and I, I was like running. I was tripping over my own dick to buy a monkey. Same thing with the barrel emote. Uh, you, you, you're you going to use it. It's here. Uh, and, you know, with, with the emotes, you know, usually there's something silly. Like, they're just a way to kind of have nonverbal communication in the game. So, to or show your pirate doing something silly in what's generally a um, first person perspective game. It also lets you kind of admire your pirate in the third person a little bit. So you can watch your pirate cutting a mango or you can watch your pirate uh, having some skilly, skilly, skelly shenanigans, silly skelly shenanigans with a skeleton arm uh, as, as it crawls around or you know you could be you could yeah, be doing you just the, enter you enter a pose you can dance yeah. you can clap you can sleep you can fart well I don't think you can fart but you could probably like there's probably like a bending over emote and then you can make the noise of a fart with your own mouth I don't know it's it aids in the role play the emotes right. really add to the the role play and the silliness of interacting with your friends yeah um, reacting to each other it allows you to react to things and it's a lot of fun. But the barrel emote actually feels like a, like an impactful usage in gameplay. It feels like something else entirely. It, it is actually a level of covert, sort of Metal Gear Solid style gameplay. 
uh, you you hide in a barrel, and and it, that that is something that can really let you get you know get a leg up on other crews. If you are on a fort and you're hiding out, uh, you hide in a barrel not near other barrels. They will probably not know exactly where you are unless they have the entire layout of the fort memorized. Now, granted, there are other tells, like you're still going to have a mer person in the water if you are on a fort away from your ship. That will be a tell that, hey, there's another pirate here. But still, they won't know exactly where you are. Uh, you're, you're hiding in this yeah, barrel. Yeah, this was kind of an evolution. They started with the game, there was... Uh... When the game first came out, I think there was initially eight emotes, right? They had these eight standard emotes anyone could do. It was and like you could dance, you could make friends with someone, you could sit. Um and I think that when the game first started, some people started uh in with this new technique where they figured, "Hey, if I do the sit emote in a very kind of out of the way spot, I can hide." And then I can use hiding as a technique to then spring a trap on people. I can board their ship. I can hide. And this became known as tucking. Tucking on players' ships. And some streamers popularized it as like this thing that it's fun for the audience to watch. And it became this thing that a lot of people were then doing in-game because they learned it from streamers. And then later they added in these emotes that you could get from... Uh, you could get new emotes. And they just started adding in emotes and adding tons and tons of new emotes. And when they did that, they added in these kind of tucking-based emotes uh, called hide emotes where you could do a, like, there's, like, the first initial one was, like, a fetal position. You go in a little fetal position, but what makes it special is that it specifically hides your gamer tag while you're using one of the emotes that are branded hide. So even if someone looked right at you, your gamer tag wouldn't pop up. And so they kind of endorsed this idea of hiding. Jeff, do you remember that stream where you boarded the other ship and you hid inside their womb using the fetal position. Yeah, right. It was, uh, cramped. It was upsetting, but it still got the job done. Yeah. I was just like, Hey, Hey, I'm going to enter you. The barrel emote is an evolution of that because it's actually disguising yourself as a prop and like the other hiding emotes, it still hides your gamer tag. Um, and if you're into like the core, the hardcore meta, if you're like a really like serious player, it's not the best way to hide. Uh, and like the really dedicated players aren't going to be fooled by it. Um, but it is the most fun way to hide. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, I and I and it also is just um, so if you're on a ship and you disguise yourself as a barrel it will be very obvious that you're, you don't belong there because the the barrel will rock uh, with the waves in a way that looks unnatural. It won't, it will be clear that barrel is not part of the ship because you're not like, you're not um, like bolted down to the geometry of the ship. Any good uh, crew member will realize there is no barrel in that ship. Like maybe a split second level, like wait a second, it, it can play to your advantage, but you know, if if you are fooled by it too hard, then I I don't know. You're you're either very new or you're very unobservant. But then on islands, it can be a lot more viable because one, 
you don't rock with the waves in a way that gives away that you're not meant to be there. You just sit stationary because you're on flat land. And then two, how many people have every barrel on every island memorized how, how they're laid out? Um, even the most dedicated players are not usually going to run past a barrel and then be like, wait a minute, there was never a barrel there on Wanderer's Refuge? There's four barrels and there's usually three. Like, no, people don't do that. So it can be useful, but more importantly than that, it is very silly and therefore very funny and very fun. And that is why it's the best feature of Season 2, because of how much funny fun times you can have hiding in a barrel. Jeff, what, what was the funniest fun time you had with the barrel? Well, this is, I kind of mentioned earlier, I had a story about the Fairy of the Damned, uh, where this, like, meeting zone of all the players that are dead for, like, 30 seconds before you respawn. Uh, me and, I want to say, Mitchell Wolf, maybe Andrew from the Idaho crew, and, like, maybe Dustin or G-Man or something, one of those guys, uh, we were kind of done with our session. We all like killed ourselves on an outpost after setting our ship on fire. We ended up on the ferry of the damned. We were just going to quit. And then I was like, guys, no, 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 come over here. And we stood in front of the door and we all went into barrels in a line that made like a wall, uh, in front of the door, which you can walk right through. It's, we're not blocking your path, but we made up a, a, a wall there. And then we just waited for someone to die and waited for someone to discover us. And Mitchell Wolf was on the microphone in game, just saying the word barrel over and over. (laughs) It was just barrel, barrel. And then a guy died and he immediately like ran up to us and was like, it's barrels. And, (laughs) And he got us so excited. And then Mitchell was just like, barrel, barrel. And then this guy went into a barrel and he joined our clan. We now had five barrels. It was the most fun ever. It was like, if we stayed here all day, I wonder if we could have got more people to be barrels. But this guy was so excited, he ran up and was just like, I want to be a barrel. And he became a barrel. He joined our barrel posse. Um, and that was fun for me. Um, and sometimes you could, if you have enough people, you could make that barrel formation into a funny shape. Like a phallic kind of shape. Oh, of course. Because that's funny. Everyone likes that. And in terms of how much that makes you laugh uh, in a hilarious way. So, um, yeah, I just think the barrel is a great bit of... Uh, this is what Sea of Thieves is so great at. It's a kind of uh, slapstick humor. It's a kind of subdued humor. It's this sort of, uh, you know, oh, somebody threw vomit in my face. You know, oh, like... Uh, somebody just did the funny reaction emote when I fell off the boat, you know, stuff like that. And, and Sea of Thieves is full of this kind of, uh, what's the word? It's like a silent movie almost in its humor. Yeah. And, um, the barrel emote is just, it's just a great tool for silliness. And that's what I love in Sea of Thieves. And goofing around with your friends and goofing around with other players. Um, I did one time I, I, I boarded someone's ship and I got in a barrel in the, uh, what was it like the captain what i went in the captain's quarters and i got in a barrel and then like 20 minutes later another person from another ship boarded this ship to try and tuck and they ran in and they went into a barrel in the same room as me 
I was in a barrel and they were in a barrel and we were both trying the same gambit on this poor ship. And it was hilarious. And then another time I was on a ship and I went in a barrel and I didn't even want to sneak up on them. I wanted to see how long it would take for them to find me. And when it was taking too long, I would get out every five minutes and just scoot my barrel out into a more obvious position. And then every five minutes, just move. And eventually I was just like right on their stairs and they <laughs> were still just run, They were running up and down the stairs, running right past me, not reacting to this barrel. It was great. The barrel gets, allows you to have that kind of fun. Yeah. I, uh, I like it cause I feel like the, those, the, this, the silly clobbers or the, the, what is it? The, the, the Nakas from Donkey Kong Country three, you know, the, the, the Kremlins in the barrels. And I'm just like, bah! Nah, I'm actually a per- I'm actually I'm actually a person. I'm not a barrel. Gotcha. Uh, you know, and, and usually I I've only used it tactically a couple times. It's usually just used goofing off with my friends on my own ship. But um, I'm so I'm so glad it's there. It, it's just one of those things. It's when you talk about quality of life improvements. Getting to hide in a barrel is the biggest. I want more. I want more prop. Uh, it's like a game mode you've probably never played in other games called Prop Hunt, where it's like a kind of hide and seek, except that one player is hiding disguised as like a random prop. Um, I want more props. I know it It makes sense for a pirate to be able to fit into a barrel, and it maybe doesn't make sense for me to turn into a banana, but <laughs> I would like to if there was magic. If you let me be a banana or something, I would love to do that. Um, I, that would be a great emote. You just pull out a giant yeah. peel and you zipper yourself up and you're just a giant banana laying down. Right. And then you teleport to the other side of Donkey Kong Island. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's like, wait a second. There wasn't a giant banana here before. Or was there? <laughs> what, look, look at this banana that's so, like, lumpy. What's all these lumps in the edges? All right. Um... <laughs> I'm gonna milk it. I just it. love. <laughs> oh God, yeah. Because the thing is, that Fairy of the Damned is such a fun spot to just goof with people, um, to goof with strangers. And a lot of times it was like stand there and just do the monkey dance or whatever. But like now you can be a barrel, and that's just ten times more fun. Yeah, and, and you know they had other barrel-related emotes before, like balancing on a barrel or drinking grog from a barrel or or whatever. But now you just get to be the barrel. Which I think is the ultimate end game that all of us are shooting for. Yeah, it is. It's a little bit like that classic rare uh, enemy design of like you think it's a good thing and then it attacks you, like the Minjo or the Clobber. Um, except that you, the players, are the enemies. Like you are role playing as the monster, and that is super fun. Because like, especially when someone is like investigating you, you're the barrel, and they know you're kind of weird, and they're like, "What is this?" I can't interact with this barrel, but I can walk right through this barrel. What is going on here? And then you just pop out, and it's they're just like, ah! It's great. It's so much I, fun. I know. I like to pop out and go, Bleh. Yeah, that's your that's your catchphrase. Yeah, because you're like, you thought I was one thing, but I'm actually something else. And you just, yeah, you have to scare them. Uh, so, other than barrels, other than bean barrels, the other big thing this season 
w- that wasn't actually part of the uh, like actual update, but was more of the um, the event that was going on. That's kind of like part of, but separate from the actual game itself. Like these these uh, events that they do, that used to just be tracked on the website, but you can now see them in game. Uh, it was Reapers versus the World, essentially, where they really played up the emissaries once again. And the the catch, the hook here, was that the Reapers Bones, this kind of evil organization uh, that may or may not be like Flameheart worshippers, it's still very nebulous what their deal is, but they uh, they they exist at the center of the map uh near the center of the map the uh, reapers hide out and you know you you take treasure to them instead of the trading companies on the outpost and they're working in opposition to the both the trading companies and the pirate lord and and whatever but uh they're they they were like targeting the emissaries the, those who were sailing for the trading companies and uh, the the emissaries were like, no, we 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 want to uh, we want to reward our, our loyal pirates who are sailing for us in this time of danger. And so, just basically playing all the factions against each other, and you got extra stuff for participating. Yeah. So season one did kind of a different event every month, and then season two just had this event that really lasted the whole duration. It was like very much longer term goals. It was like, do some stuff as a gold hoarder emissary, do some stuff as a order of souls emissary, do some stuff as a merchant emissary. And then throughout the whole thing as a reaper, go sink those players that are doing emissary stuff. And it was like, you had to sell like 20 flags off other players, which if you are the kind of crew that logs in, with the intention to play as a Reaper, if that's your main playstyle, um, that's great. You know, you're going to hit those 20 flags probably pretty easy. If you're a player that doesn't actively hunt down other players all the time, uh, getting 20 emissary flags is a really tall order. It, it's a tall order, not just because you, you might have some aversion towards doing it or. You know, you've got to actually sink them and get the flag and take it to the Reaper's hideout as a Reaper's Bones emissary. But also, you might not ever encounter an emissary while playing the game. Like, you can log into a server and not see an emissary the entire time. It's really a luck of the draw sort of thing. It's what other crews are doing, the crews you've been paired up with on a server. So, you know, there's been several times I've played where I haven't encountered or seen any other emissaries whatsoever. Uh, So, 20 doesn't sound like a lot, but it's a lot. And especially if you don't play as the Reaper's Bones a great deal. Like, like for me, being a pirate in Sea of Thieves, my pirate character, Cousin Russell is not the type of pirate to throw in with the reaper's bones, right? He's more like the ethos of the pirate Lord or Arthur Pendragon, where he he's actually somewhat of a heroic figure looking out for other people. Like piracy is more about the freedom it represents than it is any sort of evil intent. So, you know, very, very similar to some of the, the, 
Pirates of the Caribbean characters, I guess, in that regard. So, like, just from a personal My Pirates canon standpoint, I wouldn't want to sail with the Reaper's Bones, but there are also all these commendations and renown and progress uh, that comes with that that I want to get done. So it kind of becomes this thing where how can I justify this in-game without betraying who my pirate is, but also how can I get away with it without actually targeting other crews who are real-life players who I don't necessarily want to go aggro on unless they attack me first. Well, the answer is that we cheesed it. We cheesed it. We milked that squirrel, Jeff, and, and we... Did that by doing what we call a server takeover, which is not really a full server takeover. It's we get two or more ships per server by usually utilizing our West Coast friends early on a Sunday morning uh, where a lot of people aren't logging into the game on the West Coast. And it increases their chances of winding up on the same server. Once we realize two of our friends on the West Coast are on the same server, then they invite us to their ships, and we have two galleons. It can take anywhere from 20 minutes to two hours, but we we usually do this whenever we want to pull off some grand task. Usually one of these events that either has too high of a threshold to clear doing it naturally, or they didn't give us enough time, or we didn't give ourselves enough time to do the actual event while it was live, and it's the last weekend, and we were like, well, we want to get this done, let's do a server takeover, and we'll just do it, and we'll cheese it, and we'll trick the Reaper's Bones into thinking we're nefarious, evil pirates, when in reality, we're just friends conning them. And I like that. That's 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 exactly what my pirate would do to get the gold and the reputation and and the the special rewards for this without actually attacking any other crews. Because I think we had only gotten one, my at least me. When I say we, I mean me. Only gotten one emissary flag uh, up until our server takeover the last weekend before season three started. Uh, and we, we got that because a crew did attack us. They were emissaries. Uh, they sank. We got their flag. We took it to the Reaper's hideout. And, and we got one on the board. But we still had 19 more to go. Or at least I did. So uh, we, instead we did a server takeover where we became emissaries, scuttled our ships, and traded flags. And we did this 20 times. And This one was... Um... I'm going to say, Heil, it wasn't yeah. fun. Uh, sometimes sometimes we have a task that is going to be hard to do, and so we server take over to make let ourselves do it. Things like, you know, do a bunch of tasks while in an alliance. That, that's one that has come up before. And in natural gameplay, it sometimes can be a crapshoot whether you can form an alliance or not with strangers. And so it's like... Yeah, if we can make an alliance and then to go and check off all these things, like go do a Fort of the Damned in alliance and then, you know, go sit on some of the big chairs, the skeleton thrones with other people like and we can check check off those boxes. And that's not boring and that's not unfun. But when the task we're trying to do is just sink yourself, give them your flag and then sail back here and do it again. And it wasn't just 20 times. It was 20 times each ship. 
Yeah. Each ship had to sink 20 times so that each crew could sell 20 flags. And I think that Mitchell joined us because sometimes, like, if we're doing a server takeover, he gets excited and he doesn't play Sea of Thieves a lot. And I think he was, like, fully tired of it, like, less than halfway in. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, We broke him completely, and I knew we were going to, but I still didn't care because I wanted to get it done. And I was like, if I break Mitchell, that's, like, something I'm willing to sacrifice for the greater good. So, sorry. Well, and the Mitch. thing is, it doesn't bother me too much because, like, the activity we're doing doesn't bother me too much because essentially what we're doing is chit chatting over a party chat. Yeah. While doing this mundane activity, so it's kind of like just sitting on a phone phone call with your friends for four hours. Yeah. But you also have to do this thing in the background, and yeah, it gets old. Um, but it's not like purely mundaneness. It's also socializing. Yeah, yeah. Um, like like anything, you know, you, you can have too much of a good thing. And talking with you, Jeff, I think has its oh, limits around hour five. No, I'm joking. Oh. I'm joking. It it was pretty awful, wasn't it? But I'm glad we did it. It it felt it feels good to have done that event and gotten the the hardest to obtain title, which I know you don't really care about. Um, I'm I just have this like fear of missing out. It's like. I'm not going to use that title in my entire time playing Sea of Thieves as, you know, in my active pirate character since launch. I've only had two titles, Brave Vanguard, and then I changed over to Legend of the Sun last uh, at the end of last summer from the, for the summer Sea of Thieves event because that title was so hard to get. And I, I really like it as far as my pirate goes. But I, I that those are the only two titles I've used other than posing with the Hunter of the Shrouded Ghost title when we, we killed the Shrouded Ghost. But I'm glad we did it. And also, we also got 20 Merchant Alliance emissary flags sold to the Reaper's Bones. And Merchant Alliance emissaries are the rarest emissaries you will encounter on the Sea of Thieves because nobody wants to sail as a merchant emissary because they tend to be the most boring so to get 20 merchant emissary flags sold to the reaper's bones is a huge get in and of itself as if you're going to cheese it i think we cheesed it in just the right way but um they did have kind of an interesting gimmick to this event it wasn't like super interesting but the kernel of the idea is interesting which is that they had this running tally over the whole global community of how many flags are sold by the Reapers from each of the companies. And the one that gets hunted the most will be will determine the reward you're all going to earn by completing this as a Reaper. And so it, was, uh, it ended up being Gold Hoarders, which was going to be obvious from the start because it's just more players like to be Gold Hoarders than anything else. Um... But because more gold holder flags got sold than anything else, our reward for doing it was a gold hoarder hat. Yeah. And um, that concept of, like, giving the community these different options and then letting them all go out and tallying what they choose um, is interesting. In this case, it's not that interesting because... As a Reaper, you don't get to choose what flags you sink. It's it's up to the mercy of who who you run into on the seas. Um, but in a grander sense, if you could do that idea with an activity you had more choice over, um, 
that would be interesting. It's it's kind of like a splat fest on Splatoon where they will put you in for the weekend and they'll say, choose a side. You can be the, you know, uh, what's better, burgers or hot dogs? And if you're on team hot dog, uh, you know, oh, oh, here's an example. You will understand, Heil. Mario Kart Tour, Bowser versus Donkey Kong. Um, it was rigged. So what you're saying is... Well, it was rigged. N- yeah. Just like this was rigged, it was always going to be Gold Hoarders. But I'm saying that idea, if it wasn't rigged and it was something more interesting, is something I'd like to see in Sea of Thieves. This whole, like, community-wide goals, community-wide uh, tying your allegiance to a team, and then seeing who wins. They did a really cool thing in League of Legends, back when I used to play League of Legends, like, 100 years ago, before they rebooted the lore, which was, you know, if Sea of Thieves ever reboots its lore, I'm out. Let it be known. <laughs> I can't, I can't, I can't handle it. Uh, but before League of Legends rebooted the lore, they did this event, and in the story, there was like this Game of Thrones-style dispute for a, for the sovereignty of the ice region in the north. And there was like an ice queen that was kind of evil, and then there was kind of uh, your, your equivalent of the Starks, uh, a more benevolent kind of uh, heroine that had some claim to the throne. And then there was like the trolls and there was like the king of the trolls or something. And he wanted to rule the region. And there was this event where it's like, you could pledge your, your allegiance to one of the three groups. And then over the course of the week or the, whatever it was, the month or whatever, uh, whichever team won the most matches, that became the canon story that that sovereign won the war and became the canon leader of the frozen, uh, North region, the, the, which is called the Freljord. Um, but that kind of like community impacting the lore is a like really cool thing that, um, and they did it in Splatoon too, because in Splatoon, they do these splat fests, choose this side or choose that side. And they kind of did this thing at the end of Splatoon one, where you could choose to be on team Marina or team, or team Marie or team Cali. And then whichever team won, it actually changed the whole story of Splatoon 2. Uh, one of the two would be like the the kind of the protagonist in, in the second game. And then one of them was like the, the antagonist or like it was kidnapped or something. I don't remember the story of Splatoon 2, but it was influenced by the community. Um, anyway, long story short, this felt like the tiniest speck of, of dipping the toe into that direction of community events. And I would love to see them do more of that in Sea of Thieves. This kind of let the community choose the outcome in in a global, like the global community's uh, actions in, influence the outcome of something. Yep. Yeah. I mean, in this case, it wasn't that interesting because we all got a hat and we all knew what hat we were going to get. But you're right. There's potential there. Yeah, that's it. Uh, yeah. 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 Uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> they also, you know, as has been the case, season two also featured the slow moving evolution of the game's lore, uh, the, the progressing story or multiple stories at once. Uh, in this case, it's more understated, and at the time, we didn't know what they were building up to. Uh, we, we do now with A Pirate's Life and Season 3, but at the time, it was kind of vague and 
obtuse uh, because they would have the character of Duke, uh, a part of the Builderats, who are the they're, they're sort of like a trading company, but they're not a trading company. They are the uh, ones who kind of eschew all of the strict organizations of the other or uh, groups in the game and they're more just about the total freedom of being a pirate and they're led by Lorena the main character or the co-main character from the Athena's Fortune novel uh, but Duke was the primary character you would meet from the Buildrats when they were a new faction in the game and you would meet him in the tavern and over time uh, Duke would kind of trail off and go on these fact-finding missions and for a time he was replaced by the character of Stitcher Jim and then Stitcher Jim turned out to be a bastard and then Duke came back uh, but he was missing an eye and then eventually Lorena replaced Duke in the in the taverns and Duke went off to Lagoon of Whispers where you could find him with the character of Umbra and then Duke left Laguna Whispers on his missions, and it kind of became like this Easter egg thing, like, where's Duke? Where's Duke this week, or or this this update? And whenever you would find Duke, then it Duke was in dire straits. <laughs> and, 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 like, stuff has been happening with Duke that we, uh, we, we could only kind of, like, parse minute details, but none of it good. And it kind of, like, the deterioration of Duke as a character, from this bombastic, jolly fellow to this battered, uh, trauma-afflicted, wounded man, really, I think, is us pre-2020 and after 2020. We are all Duke in in some regard. Uh, But, like, here, Duke started, like, talking about... This vague threats and memorably then he he went off on this like tirade about the mermaid statues the merfolk statues that have been part of the game since summer of 2018 that you you know you bash the mermaid statues and they procure a uh, merfolk gem uh the sapphires emeralds and rubies that you can then sell to any trading company but your theory about the merfolk statues have always been that they are incubators that they they basically uh are are where the the mer people come from and that we were actually destroying their their hatchery and you presented that to mike chapman at e3 2019 and i think you you horrified him i did um and so a lot of stuff going on with Duke was leading up to the story that's getting told now in season three, although we didn't understand at the time the context. Yeah. What is this implying? And we're going to talk a lot more about that when we get around to uh, dissecting a pirate's life, the Pirates of the Caribbean tall tales, and what answers those brought. Because I don't want to talk about any of those answers here no. as I would I would consider them spoilers. Absolutely. Um, but a, a really cool thing, and I don't want to talk a ton about it, um, but throughout this, so Duke would show up on a random island, you'd go talk to him, and he would tell you that he's discovered these skeleton runes out in the world, and he would kind of give a vague hint as to the location, and then you could go around the game and find these runes, 
And you'd say, oh, look, on the rock here, just kind of like the clue said, is a little thing you can look at. And then you read it and it describes a rune or like a hieroglyph. Uh, and then it gives Duke's like little speculation on what it might translate to. And they kind of did these every month and they had these descriptions of a, of a glyph, of a rune, and then some clues as to what it might mean. And where it got really interesting was it tied into a whole ARG campaign on the social media platforms that it was very easy to miss all this because it was all playing out very subtly. The social media Twitter team would tweet out a photo and say, you know, Sunday vibes, look at this cool picture. But eagle-eyed people would zoom in and say that there and find there was a little skeleton glyph hidden in the image. And then what does it mean? And the team on on social media was posting these coded messages of glyphs. And it's like, okay, eight glyphs, and I know what two of them mean. It's a these are like words written in the skeleton language, the skeleton runic language. And they'd write these like complicated messages with characters that we mostly don't know what they mean. But the whole point of Duke in the game, like discovering these runes is that it's cluing us in and then we're trying to put all this information together and try and decode these messages and it all kind of built up to season 3 in ways that were impossible to predict even if you even if you decoded all the messages ahead of time you basically didn't know what they meant until you played season 3 um so it was kind of a hindsight thing but it was very complicated very involved lots of puzzles on social media to discover and my uh, co-editor at Golden Sands Blog Post, uh, our friend Deadeye Dre, did a very thorough write-up summarizing the whole puzzle over the whole of season two, which you can find if you look up Golden Sands Blog Post and you just look for the lore of season two, the lore of season two. That post breaks down all of the complicated puzzles and things that they did across social media. There was stuff on Instagram, Twitter, Spotify, Facebook, and uh, and stuff in the game. And it all tied together to like decode these skeleton messages. And that was kind of just a, a fun activity that was uh, I, I was basically over my head in from the start. Yeah. And had no I had no time. So I put I really uh, give it up to all the people, including Dre who actually followed along the whole time and were able to keep up with the puzzle because I didn't have the energy. Uh, neither did I. I was like, oh, you're doing what now? Yeah, I, I don't care. Does this, this is affect anything in-game as far as, like, commendations go? No? Okay. Then I, I really can't devote any mental power to it. But it, It's it, been a busy time of year, so it was just tough yeah. for me. But, uh, yeah. but yeah, great, great summary on that post, the lore of Season 2, Golden Sands blog post, and it is... Uh, fascinating to see it all laid out because of how elaborate it was in hindsight you can check out golden sands blog post by the way by going to dkvine.com forward slash golden sands blog post yeah so i mean not a whole lot of lore going on that actually paid off in season two and like i said it all kind of led up to season three and we'll talk about that in the future yeah the, um, the only the only other thing i would add would be that on the outpost you saw something under oh. construction a little bit more um this this new building was clearly um 
supplies for which were clearly being like dragged to the outpost, but we didn't know what that actually was. Was it a new training company? Who who was coming to the outpost and setting up shop? That would be answered right away in season three, but had no idea at this point. So we're getting kind of near the end of season two, and I wanted to go through uh, some of the cool outside of the game expanded universe stuff going on. Um, just merchandise type stuff, but I think we don't have a lot to say about each one, so I was going to just speed right through this like a galleon with all three sails billowed in the wind and just name drop the cool stuff that happened through season two. Sure. If that's cool with you, Heil. It's it's cool with me. Let's do it. Okay, so the tabletop RPG game came uh, out with a pre-order for an expansion box that would print out the uh, all of the expansion campaigns they've released so far, plus new expansion rules for all the updates that have come to the game, and including a new kind of uh, storyline. And that's on pre-order, and it comes with exclusive sales if you buy it physically. Um, the Duke ship set that you get for uh, playing Sea of Thieves on an Xbox Series X or Series S console... Uh, that is still going on right now, although I don't know for how much longer, but uh, somebody in the community, maybe Cameron, discovered a trick that lets you get that even if you don't have a Series X, which is uh, if you log in to play Sea of Thieves through a browser window using the beta xCloud uh, cloud browser gaming thing, which is available for anyone who uses who, who is a Game Pass subscriber... If you play Sea of Thieves through a browser, those cloud uh, services are running on Series X hardware. And it, and Sea of Thieves will give you credit for the Duke chipset. I got it that way. Um, <laughs> Local DK Vine staffer discovers one weird trick to get the Duke chipset. <laughs> Phil Spencer hates him. <laughs> uh, okay, the Sea of Thieves Origins comics series continues with the story of Arthur Pendragon, the second issue out of three was released, and that you can find on comicsology.com. It's only in digital, not in print. Uh, the Sea of Thieves audiobook, uh, Sea of Thieves Athena's Fortune novel, ha- now has an audiobook, which was narrated by Toby Stevens, a uh, great actor who, in terms of pirate lore, uh, is known as playing Captain Flint on the Stars fran- uh, Stars series Black Sails, and does an amazing job narrating the novel by Chris Alcock. Uh, and you can find that on any kind of audio service. Uh, you can find it for free on the Sea of Thieves official YouTube, as well as for free on Spotify with ads, while other audiobook-specific services, you, uh, I think it, it is not for free. It's charged, uh, but it's absolutely worth it. It is, uh, it's got narrating the book, but it's also got like sound effects and music and stuff. It's really great. Uh, then there's also a Sea of Thieves vinyl soundtrack, out for pre-order from IM8Bit, which, uh, including among among all the vinyls and other little features, a book, a storybook, um, 28-page storybook written in-universe by Merrick, the shark hunter uh, of the Hunter's Call Trading Company. I still need to order this. It, it irritates me because I don't care about the vinyl necessarily. Like, it would be nice to have the music, but vinyl I find to be such an impractical way of consuming music for my go-go lifestyle. But I want the storybook. Um, 
Yeah, that's me. I think it's, uh, I'm not going to use the vinyls, but it'll all make for a great display item on a shelf. And yeah. then I actually am very interested in the book, which includes like some pop-up elements or something. I'm not sure, but it, it looks very cool. Uh, and there's some great illustrations on the uh, album arts and things like that. Um, I don't have in front of me the artist who did those illustrations, but uh, kudos to them. They look awesome. And uh, obviously m- the music throughout is um, composed by Robin Beanland. Um, yeah, that's the that's all the good merch this season. That's all the good uh, events this season. That's all the good new features this season. That's uh, that's season two. Yeah, I wanted to start doing a reoccurring segment, too, uh, on each of these Sea of Thieves wrap-ups we do, uh, where I ask the question, uh, is TT the stopwatch from off of Diddy Kong Racing in Sea of Thieves yet? Because, you know, it, it, it's a big thing for me, TT and Sea of Thieves. Uh, as I imagine, I, I like to imagine, at least, it is for thousands of people out there worldwide uh, after seeing that image that Greg Mails tweeted about TT being in the early build of Sea of Thieves. I'm not making this up. TT was in the early build of Sea of Thieves. He he was standing there in a tavern and I can confirm that when I played the early build of Sea of Thieves at Rare, I got to see TT. I got to interact with TT. I got to hold TT in my hands and so tt has not been added to the game but i i thought it would be good to update everyone and and let everyone know uh, has tt been added yet to sea of thieves with each episode we do so the answer is no no tt has not been added to sea of thieves yet you know Heil, when you said that you got to go in the tavern and hold tt and see tt uh i was just thinking like man so even the beta build had milk in Sea of Thieves, <laughs> and and the final build doesn't have any milk. This is crazy. You know, you know, Jeff, you joke, you you, you make jokes in your euphemisms, but you know, I I can say that TT is in the early build because Greg Mails voluntarily revealed it, but I can't say because I am under NDA whether or not you could milk TT in that early build of Sea of Thieves. So. I'm just going to leave that to your imaginations at home, whether or not you could have a nice, frothy glass of TT the Stopwatch milk. It is just body temp. Yeah. Ugh. It, and it, the thing with TT milk is it runs right through you, just just races to the finish. <laughs> Go for it! Uh, so on the next episode of The Conversation, Jeff, you're going to be back. You're no rest for Jeff Onan, uh, because you're going to be back for a good reason. Uh, so a lot of people have been after me, Jeff, to watch a movie that's, uh, it's been around for what, like, uh, somewhere around 20, about 20 years, around two decades now. Uh, and they're like, Heil, what, what you have to watch it. You would love this movie. It has so much that appeals to your sensibilities. And I'm like, I don't know. It looks a little stupid to me. And they're like, Heil, Heil, you need to watch this movie. And people, it's been a big thing, Jeff, a big campaign for fans of DK Vine in the conversation yeah. to get me to watch the, not just a movie, it's a series of films. Yeah, the second one is actually argue, almost better. 
I, I, Probably, I, arguably. So, if I'm honest, I I binge them all, Jeff. I I actually sat down and watched just just the other week. I was like, I've got to do it. I've got I've got to do it. Like it, it's now or never. I've got to sit down and I've got to watch every single one. Uh, and I say I binged them. It, it took about a week. And there's technically five, and you watched all five, right? Technically five, yeah. Technically there were five, and I did watch all five. Um, so join us next time on The Conversation for a Conversation Mini where I discuss my reaction to all five Pirates of the Caribbean movies. Hey, hey, Heil. Hey, Heil. I'm gonna sink you. Somebody once told me... This has been a File 2 production. Qué rico.